1960, some French guys invented cinema. Not really, but kind of. And this week I'm tackling one of those films. That's right. For the very first time ever, I watched Breathless. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Clear Tinted Classics, the show where I, your host, Jake Ryan Baker, watch classic movies for the very first time and give my nostalgia-free opinions on them. And this week, we are talking about the French New Wave Cinema, Breathless, 1960, Jean-Luc Godard. I don't know if this is his debut film. I probably should have checked that. It does indeed seem to be his first feature-length film. Uh, it seems like he made some shorts before this. Um, I don't know a terrible lot about, I mean, French New Wave cinema in general. I'm just very aware of Jean-Luc Godard and Francois Truffaut, um, adapting a little bit of an accent as I say that, but hey, you know, they, yeah, might as well say it sort of right, hopefully, (laughs) but I feel like I have this, uh, appreciation for French New Wave cinema. And I really appreciate the effect that it had on cinema. And I mean, if you've been listening to the show at all, I've been doing Wong Kar Wai movies with my friend Christina. Great guest. Can't wait to do In the Move for Love with her. But he definitely was influenced by these guys, the the street-level gritty filmmaking. I love that shit. However doesn't necessarily mean that every movie is a banger. Um, I just want to preface this whole episode with, like, for you uh, French cinema, especially New Wave purists, this one definitely didn't get me as good as I had hoped, and I probably will never do an episode on it because I kind of missed the window, but I've also watched Truffaut's 400 Blows. That kind of rhymes, huh? (laughs) But I... That movie was good, but again, it's like, these movies, I I don't know, they're not hitting me, they're not my favorite thing ever, I I, I feel bad saying that, I, I was talking about Breathless to a friend, and I, com- I, compared, I, I compared it to the Beatles, because, uh, I don't know if this is even a hot take anymore, because everyone's sort of aged out of it a little bit, but uh, I don't like the Beatles like at all. I, I think most of their music sucks. I think a lot of covers by other people of their music tend to be pretty good. Anything that uh, Jimi Hendrix does or anything like that is good. I like the movie Across the Universe. I like all those covers. I love the revol- I love the version of Revolution that Jim Sturgis does in that movie, but their actual music uh, I had a very uh, memorable road trip to Tennessee with some friends, and I think it was on the way back. I had a friend uh, who probably knows that I'm talking about him. Shout out. Uh, but I had a friend play like a Beatles album on the way back to Indiana, and I was just like, this fucking sucks, man. <laughs> like, I don't know. I... I appreciate the influence that they had on music, and I and it's like I feel like for me it's a pretty apt comparison where 
it's just weird to me that I could love someone like Wong Kar Wai so much, who's so clearly influenced by this style of filmmaking, and yet I can turn around and watch something like Breathless, which is one of the most influential movies ever made, at least in terms of how it influenced filmmakers, just like how the Beatles influenced... I mean, the Beatles were gigantic, obviously, but I think they also influenced musicians as well. And I don't know, I wasn't in love with this movie. I've... It's been a little bit since I watched it. I've come to appreciate it a little bit, but I just want to preface everything with being like, the French New Wave is awesome. I keep, I, I want to keep diving in deeper and deeper into it. I, I feel bad though, because I think movies like this and 400 Blows are really held up as these examples of, I think it's because they were sort of a first of their kind type thing. This reminds me a lot of covering Persona with Jancy, where a lot of stuff in, that film was very revolutionary and amazing what they were doing at the time. But looking back, it's like, well, is this how, I mean, persona has definitely grown on me in terms of, I remember a lot of the scenes from that really well, as opposed to this, I'm like looking at my notes and I'm just like, this one's going to be a fun episode. Cause I'm just going to be like, I, uh, I think this is what happened in the, in the scene. It wasn't that long ago that I watched it. And I even talked about it for a completely different show that I do for, ironically, my job. I work in public access, uh, and I started a show with a friend at work where we talk about DVDs that you can rent from the library, and I talked about this film, and it's already like kind of left my mind a little bit. I'm curious to see what comes back as I go through this. Uh, I guess I just... I don't know. Uh, <laughs> stop saying uh so much, please. I, I'm. We'll see what happens as I talk through this film. Uh, fuck. God damn. <laughs> it's fine. Stop saying it. Uh, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I'm gonna stop. It's very late at night. This is a different kind of vibe. I normally hop into the library studio and record sort of a right after work but i waited till super late at night at home to do this one and it's a different vibe man <laughs> different vibe very uh vibe baby uh all around uh <laughs> damn it i hate myself so much <laughs> but hey anyway what did i know about the movie going in there's a youtuber i really like uh ralph uh the movie maker and he covered this on a series he does where he talks about films he really likes. And I this stuck out to me, and I was thinking, wow, this seems like a movie I'd really like. It's kind of a crime thing, a lover's thing, maybe even like a lover's on the run type thing. So I was excited to watch this movie, and I don't really touch on it too much anymore, but as far as my preconceived notions go, I wrote down, I think he was a thief, I think it had something to do with romance, I was very aware that it was French. I knew it was a Godard movie, possibly one of his first, which I've confirmed now. And I mean, he's a very influential filmmaker, and this was sort of his big feature directorial debut. And it's a big deal. I mean, the guy is huge in the landscape of filmmaking. Again, I didn't do a ton of research. The Godard and Truffaut are guys I'd like to... I need to watch more of their work, definitely. And I want to read up more on them, because I believe that both of them were sort of movie critics who became filmmakers. It was very 
you know what? I'm seeing all the dumb shit that people do. And if they're not going to do it right, I'll do it myself. And it's an ironically successful little turn that they did, as opposed to, I'm sure you, you get the sense that, and I think I've talked about it many times on this show. I really appreciate film criticism. Hell, I dabble in it myself. I do my YouTube best of list videos. This whole podcast is me talking about films because I love film and I think it's valuable to understand people's opinions, but they're definitely, it's a rare person who loves film, who doesn't secretly yearn to be involved in it some way. I think it's a very rare person. I've noticed a lot of YouTubers who finally get famous doing film review, eventually you'll find out, oh, they're like going to make a movie now. They're going to try to transition their YouTube fame into a, a film career. Like The only person I can think of off the top of my head who doesn't seem to have filmmaking aspirations is Jeremy Johns on YouTube. I, I don't seem to get the sense from him that he's trying to jump into that, although I get the feeling that if someone offered him like an acting gig or something like that, he'd take it. I mean, even people like Moist Critical, aka Penguin Zero, or whatever you want to call him. I know his name's Charlie or whatever. He's straight up been in movies, and he's like the most chill, laid-back YouTuber I know, and yet he still has used his YouTube clout. I mean, it's not that he... I, I'm sure people asked him to be in the movie. I don't think he bullied his way into being in movies, but he's straight up been in movies. He very infamously talks a lot about how he was supposed to be in one of the... What's that series called? Hunger Games movies? He was like an extra in that or something. I think if you just become a YouTuber and move out to LA, there's a chance you might just show up and stuff eventually. But yeah, recently, uh, a YouTuber I really like, Chris Stuckman. He's always been very open about how much he wants to be a filmmaker. And he's made connections, and now he's going to direct a movie. And I hope it's good, because I don't want it to be bad. Because I don't I don't know how I would, uh, how I'd, uh, approach a... It's like, well, if he makes a movie that sucks, it's like, well, what are you going to do? Like, want to support the guy, but if if the movie sucks, it sucks. There's not a whole lot you can do about it. But all that being said, I guess for me, it reminds me a lot of like Roger Ebert. I think if anybody, even if you're not like super plugged into film criticism, most people know Ebert and Siskel, especially Ebert. And even that guy wrote, I, I don't know if he directed Valley of the Dolls, but he at least wrote a script and tried to make a movie seems to be a very divisive movie it's just funny you there's, there's a party that thinks like well this guy's seen every movie and he knows what's wrong with every movie ever he can pick apart the flaws of every film so you would think he wouldn't be susceptible to that kind of stuff but it just goes to show you that when you're close to the material it doesn't matter how much perspective you have on other things when you're that close to it it's nearly impossible to see things objectively, you know? And so in that regard, I think it is remarkable that Godard and Truffaut were able to become such prolific filmmakers and make such an impact because it's a, I think it is a very rare case of putting your money where your mouth is that you, I don't think you see a lot. Even one of my favorite screenwriting gurus, Robert McKee, one of the biggest things people say about him is, well, like what the fuck has he ever done in the industry? Supposedly, he's written like some screenplays and stuff, but I don't think he's ever had his name on anything big. And there's a part of you that's like, well, if he doesn't know the business, then why am I listening to him? But, you know, I, I do think you can have 
perspective. It's it's that classic adage, right? The those who can't do teach, and I, as someone who has taught, like for example, when I was younger, I was really into MMA, and I loved doing jujitsu, and I always felt like I could teach other people jujitsu really well, and I was okay at it, but I was never like a genius. But I could have had someone who was very athletically gifted learn from me, and they would have surpassed me eventually. But, you know, I could still teach them things. You know, does that make sense? Like, I'm not going to take down, I, I don't watch UFC anymore, but whoever is like the guy right now, I, I probably wouldn't beat them in a match, but I could totally train somebody. Well, not good enough. I, I couldn't train anybody good enough to beat somebody. In a, I don't even know this. I've lost control. I've lost control. Normally, I can't be as rambly because I'm under the constraints of the library, and I'm not tonight, which is bad. <laughs> this is why I do the library thing. <laughs> also, a part of it is I'm just avoiding talking about the movie because I'm nervous, but we should get into the movie. Let's get into it. Something to, I guess, if you haven't seen the movie, I don't know. If you're a fan of film, you, you got to watch Breathless at some point. You might as well. But if you haven't seen it, it's a black and white movie. It's a French film. A lot of what I would call stolen shots, essentially. These guys, the French New Wave, and something that I love about the French New Wave, the grittiness. These are guys going out on the street with cameras, no permission to film, just stealing shots. There's a scene in this movie where our two main characters are walking down the street, and every single person they pass by is rubbernecking to look at them because they're not extras. They're just people that were walking down a fucking sidewalk and these two incredibly handsome actors and a guy with a camera presumably are just walking down the street. And of course people are going to look and they just use that. It's crazy. And it's funny because it kind of fits the film a little bit because the main guy is this sort of uh, thief slash murderer on the run and he's constantly wanted. So maybe the people could be recognizing him from the news reports or whatever. It's kind of funny how it sort of works, but to a, from a filmmaking perspective, it's very obvious. It's just people looking, but it's kind of cool. I kind of appreciate that a little bit, but yeah. So our main guy, his name's Mikel. And so he's like chatting with this girl. And again, like just to get the vibe of the movie, it's a lot of very close, shaky cinematography, not like shaky cam full on, but and the way this movie's edited is very fast-paced, herky-jerky. Again, very different for the times when this was made, the 60s. You're talking about most Hollywood movies are very slow, epic cinema. Fast-paced cutting is sort of unheard of around this time. And it does make the movie a little hard to keep up with sometimes, and honestly not in a good way. Even this first scene, it's hard to fully understand what's happening. Mikkel is like looking at a guy and he's with this girl, and the guy parks this fancy car, and Mikkel is like makes the girl watch the guy. She gives him the go ahead, he jumps in the car, hot wires it. The girl's like, Please take me with you. And he just is like, Nah, I ain't got time for that, and just drives off. And so right off the bat, you're like, Okay, our hero, cool, just Left this woman on the side of the road. Awesome. 
And we get a long sort of, I think it's a credit sequence where he's just driving really fast, passing cars, talking to himself. He finds a gun in the glove box. There's there's a really interesting moment where he breaks the fourth wall and talks directly to the camera. And I mean, he's just talking a lot. This movie, I feel, I feel bad kind of ragging on this movie a little bit because I feel like, I don't know. I talk so much about, there's all this voiceover in the Wong Kar Wai movies that I've done. And I always feel like it seems so all over the place and random, yet it feels cohesive. And I feel like, I don't think the fact that people regard this movie very highly is some kind of, I don't think it's one of those fluke, oh, we just have to appreciate the originals. So it's good, even though it's really not that good, but it's an original, so we all just have to say it's good. I get the feeling that as rambly as the movie feels and as much as it just feels like characters improving and just chatting shit and stuff that there's probably a cohesiveness to the film that maybe I didn't pick up on my first watch and maybe in the future I'll watch it again. But for now it's just a lot of him rambling in the car. He he talks to camera. I I think the movie's trying to make him seem kind of interesting and charming, but I wasn't terribly into him. He's a very handsome guy. This is very French in the sense that he is just smoking in every scene. And there's multiple scenes where he lights his cigarette with a cigarette he just finished. I mean, you're talking about a guy who... Is, yeah, that's, that's the level of chain smoking we're dealing with here. But he's got, the, he's got the gun. He's like fake firing at people. Finally, some cops get on his tail. He tries to make a run for it pulls off to the side. It seems like his car is maybe broken all of a sudden. Again, it's very, like, fast-paced and uh, it, it just is it's a little hard to keep up with sometimes. And it's not terribly interesting in explaining anything to you, which is good. I don't like a movie that holds your hand, but it was kind of like, oh, he pulled off the side. Oh, I think his car's busted? I'm not sure. One of the motorcycle cops spots him. Very in my opinion, awkwardly edited scene where he ends up shooting the cop. I kind of get it from a low-budget filmmaking standpoint, where it's like, you're not just going to have a squib and show the cop get shot. So I appreciate the creativity around... Because, I mean, as as a viewer, I understand he shot this cop. It's just, again, it's hard to explain if you haven't seen the film. It's just a little hard to tell what happened, but you do kind of get it. And so he takes off. I think he goes into, I don't know if they ever specifically say the city. I guess I assumed it was Paris. He goes into a bigger city. There's already like an APB out on him that's like, this dude, Mikel, I think they even fully have his name too. He's he's wanted for killing a cop. So he's on the run. And you come to eventually find out that it seems like half the reason he came to this city was he needs to just flee the country, basically. But He's really into this chick, uh, Patricia, and he's going to try to convince her to come with him. But that's not who he visits first. He visits some other girl and chats with her. I think she's like changing and getting ready. So you get a little bit of like, ooh, sexy. She's in a bra. Yay. Type stuff. But she like offers him money, I think. And he turns it down. And then when she's not looking, he takes it. I don't know. He's like a true scumbag. Again, part of my issue with this film, I'm fine with a shitty character as long as I can kind of 
at least get some understanding from where they're coming from. I don't necessarily have to, maybe I'm using these words wrong, but I don't have to sympathize with the character to empathize with the character or vice versa. If you understand what I'm saying, I don't necessarily have to condone their actions as long as I can just get where they're coming from. Maybe they're not doing what I would have done in that situation, but if I'm watching them and I know why they're doing what they're doing, sure. To me, Mikkel just seems like a full-blown sociopath. He seems like an absolute psycho, and there's never really a point where I fully hop on board with his character. I feel like the movie tries to kind of... The fix is that Patricia, who seems to be a nice character, can't seem to help herself but be kind of interested in this guy. And again, something I find really interesting about film is if you have a character like another character, it weirdly creates a situation with the audience where, well, she likes him, so there's got to be a reason to like him, so maybe I should like him. But it never really gets there. I just kind of think like, wow, why would you waste your time with this guy? He's a fucking psycho, and you're one of the most beautiful, probably interesting women in France. I don't know why you're dealing with this guy. It's it's weird. <laughs> but speaking of Patricia, after Mikael steals the money, he goes and visits her. It is a fun scene where they're kind of walking up and down the street while she's trying to sell a newspaper. I didn't really look up this actor, but she... Yeah, that's. I guess I should. So our, our main actors are Jean-Paul Belmondo, who plays Mikael, and Jean... Seberg, Sebergs, Seberg. I don't know how to, if I should be saying Jean, 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 Jean Seberg. I thought Jean is like more of a guy's name. I don't know. She's playing an American in the film, but I get the sense that she's a French actor, but she speaks English pretty well. And so she's like selling the New York Times or something. I don't know why she's selling the newspapers because she also seems to be a journalist, we find out later. I don't know why journalists also sell the paper, but that's what she does. But he's trying to schmooze her over. He's all like, we need to meet. We need to talk. I can't get you out of my mind. He has like some stuff. At some point, he talks about all the women he slept with, but he's like, but you're the only one that was ever the best, baby. She seems, I guess, weirdly charmed by this, but I think they agree to meet up later. Again, my notes are just all over the place. I don't even know. Uh, <laughs> There's a really weird scene where he's just walking along. Mikel, I think he goes to buy a newspaper or something. And he sees a guy just get hit by a car and die. And he just kind of walks over, looks at him, goes, huh, weird. Just walks away. Very weird, random scene. Again, maybe super metaphorical. And I'm being dismissive of something really relevant and interesting but it is what it is uh i don't know i have a note that says picks up check question mark cops after him i i don't know what that refers to i don't know if picks up check cops after him oh i was thinking it was talking about like him being a restaurant but he goes to this building which i thought was a bank but maybe isn't a bank and he talks to a friend and he's like I got a package here. And the friend's like, yep, here's your money. And he's like, cool, later. And then the police show up and they're like, hey, we know that dude was here. 
so what's up? And his friend, like, tries to lie for him, but his coworker, she, like, snitches him out for some reason. Very weird. The police go running out. There's a goofy scene where they're just running. I don't know. Mikkel goes in a bathroom somewhere and fully just attacks a guy and steals his money. Just more. And the guy didn't, doesn't even get like a little moment of uh, the guy being like a little rude or something. It's just like, nope. He's just minding his own business. And Mikkel's like, whack, you're in the bathroom stall. I have your wallet now, bitch. And he leaves. From here, we get that aforementioned part where Mikkel and Patricia are just walking down the street talking and all the people are rubbernecking at them. I feel bad because the the main meat of this movie is a lot of the conversations that the characters are having. And I wasn't making notes of any of the conversations and nothing's fully coming to my mind right now. It's just a lot of him saying, you were the best I ever had. I love you. I don't think he ever says I love you. But he's just trying to convince her to run away to Rome with him or whatever. And she seems hesitant, but weirdly amused. I, I think it's you get the sense that she is kind of flattered that he's giving her all this attention and he's really positioning himself like he is this true ladies' man. And the fact that he would focus so heavily on her makes her think maybe she's special. I don't know. I think there's a lot of reading you can do into these characters. But you don't get a lot about them. Again, they they have long conversations, but I don't find most of the conversations to be super illuminating as to who they are. And I think that their characters do wildly bounce all over the place. And I don't know if it's just this chaotic nature of being kind of into each other and the ups and downs of your emotions or whatever. But again, it's just it's just hard to follow. But Patricia has, like, a meeting with this guy. It makes Mikkel mad. And he follows her. And she meets up with this dude. And she's he's, like, flirting with her super hard. And she seems to be reciprocating a little bit. I think I have a note that just says she kisses this dude and leaves with him. Mikkel seems kind of pissy about it. And he just goes into her place, I guess, and waits for her to come home. He's just snoozing in her bed. And she does show up, and she doesn't seem terribly surprised to see him here. A lot of these notes are just... This is, like, one of the biggest scenes in the movie, at least in terms of length, because once she shows up, they engage in this back and forth that's them going through all sorts of subjects, talking all kinds of things. I I feel bad, because I'm having trouble remembering, because there's a scene where... I mean, this is all the same, like, sequence, but... There's a point where she either asks him to strangle her or strangling becomes involved at some point. And I remember perking up a little bit at this moment because there was this danger to the scene where he's strangling her. And it seems kind of like there's this moment where he could take it one step further. And I, I think it's sort of letting us know that he's very dangerous and she's kind of into it. And again, this is like 60s, so, you know, like a little bit of kinky choking seems almost out of place for something of this time. You know, at the time I felt like, oh, this is like a really memorable part, but I don't remember the specifics of what happened. I just remember him choking her. And there's a moment where you're like, is he just going to snap? And there's a tension to it that's really good. I mean, this whole scene where they're, 
hanging out in her apartment or whatever. Their back and forths are very good. Their chemistry is good. And, but it, the conversation just so all over the place. The editing is pretty strange. They're talking, they're smoking, they're staring. I have a note that says she's pregnant, question mark. I don't remember what that's referring to. I don't know. If, I think maybe at some point she says she is pregnant. And it's kind of implied that it was maybe from him when he was there a little while ago. So there's that in the mix. I just have a note that says editing is wild. And it is. It, it's really all over the place. And there are scenes in this movie where it's just jump cutting even though the conversation doesn't seem like it's jump-cutting. Although it is kind of a little bit. The, the editing is very daring, I will say that, in the film. But I don't necessarily know if that means it's good. It's fun to watch from a filmmaking perspective, because seeing what he does and, and kind of what he can get away with, with you still understanding the flow of things, is pretty fascinating from that standpoint. But it is very jarring and jolting, and I don't know if it's necessarily conveying the feeling that it should be conveying. So that part's that stuff's kind of odd. But yeah, I mean, according to my notes, they just they talk a lot more. They finally hook up. I, I have my note literally says they fuck finally, comma I think. Uh, <laughs> so again, I think the tension was trying to build up. Like I don't know. I, I feel bad. I feel like I'm really being dismissive of this film when there's probably more going on beneath the surface. But at the end of the day, I mean, a lot of the film is just, I think, Gadar turned the camera on, had the characters just go for it. I don't know how much of a script there was. It's just kind of like, let's see what happens. Let's see what sticks. And it's fun to watch in that improv vibe where it feels very real. These two characters are having this lazy afternoon together where they're reconnecting, rekindling, considering each other, maybe thinking about moving forward in the future together. And they're sort of testing the boundaries and their conversation is wildly all over the place. And even their emotions at times where she'll be really flirty and then she'll be really distant and then he'll be kind of cold and then he'll be like, no, I love you. You should totally come with me. I want to be with you forever. It, it does feel real, but it also just, it's cool, but as far as a film goes, it's like, it's a little bit of like, what am I watching? Because none of these threads are super connecting. I get the vibe, and I maybe it's just a vibe out movie, but there's a reason why I don't remember any of the conversations at all. They, weren't, they didn't stick out to me at all. I just was like, they're talking, and they're talking, and they're talking some more. And I'm the kind of person who likes a movie where characters chat and do their thing and it's all good and so i don't know uh the crime stuff starts to ramp up from here though steals a car they go together i think this is where they're driving there's a scene where he's talking about what he likes in women it's doing that jump cutting thing i'm talking about where he's like i like their necks i like their knees i like their this i like their that just jumping from shot to shot on her in the passenger seat and yet his Talking seems like it's pretty in order. So it's just a unique way to cut things together. I, I don't know at what point he drops her off, but we get this really random scene where she's a journalist and she's with all these other journalists and they're interviewing some influential guy. I don't know if he's an author or what his deal is, 
long scene where they're asking him questions and he's giving these really out there flippant answers. I think it's supposed to be really funny and amusing. I found it just kind of like out of place, I guess. I don't know. Again, if I did a deeper reading of the film, maybe some of the stuff he says is very applicable to the situation that we're watching, but a lot of it is like borderline weird and misogynistic not to get all, you know, I don't even know. Like what's the term anymore? Like, like social justice warriors. That's all like out the window. Right. But I just, I I like being respectful of people and, and you can poke fun, but I also just like, you know, I think it's really more funny and interesting to be, to not dip into that stuff. And and the stuff this guy's saying is just very like, ah, women are like this. Men are like this. It's like hack 80s stand-up comedian shit. And I just, I don't know. It's, it's not that good. I don't know. I I feel bad because I, I assume for fans of this film, this is like kind of a standout scene. Like I remember that, video with Ralph the movie maker I feel like he points this scene out in particular and says it's really funny and interesting but I I don't know I didn't think so Mikel takes the car to this lot that he stole to try to sell it and scrounge up some cash for their big trip but the guy seems to know what the deal is and he's very he tries to lowball Mikel like super hard and then Mikel just I think just beats the shit out of him I don't think he kills him but I think he like beats him with his gun. Just, I think he steals some money from the guy, but I can't remember for sure. I don't remember if he even runs off with the car or if he just gets the money and then runs away, leaves the car. Or maybe it's like, oh, you get the car and I steal all your money. Cool. That's the, that's the trade. Uh, but yeah, so Patricia's, they're not together right now and she's wandering around. Patricia gets pulled aside by the police and question these dudes that have been chasing after Mikkel, same guys that were after him when he got the check or whatever. She, I think she kind of lies to them. And then she eventually admits that she knows him, but then I genuinely don't even remember, but she kind of slips away from them and they're chasing her. There's like a fun sequence where she ducks into a movie theater and Mikkel was the chase sequence is kind of fun because she's being tailed by a police officer and Mikhail is tailing them and she goes through these crowds and she's pretending she doesn't notice, but she super notices the guy's super obvious about it. She ducks into a theater at one point, loses him. Mikhail meets up with her. They both get out. So they have, they evade. She evades capture. So my next note is just Patricia knows is maybe into it. I think it's sort of like a, She's now aware that Mikkel murdered a dude, and that's part of why he's trying to get her to run away with him. And again, she's like maybe into the danger, but this whole time Mikkel's been looking for this dude, Antonio, because apparently Antonio owes him a bunch of money. Mikkel's apparently just trying to scrounge up as much money for his big runaway trip, which I don't know. I guess this whole thing is like really impromptu. Because, yeah, he stole a car, but to my knowledge, the cop that that came up on him when he was pulled over is the only person that 
he's murdered, which I think is why people are really after him. So I, I think this is all spur of the moment. I'm so fucked. I need to get out of town stuff, which is fine, but I never was fully understanding of the urgency. I mean, he's he's being chased by the cops. That's obviously urgent, but I, I guess I didn't know if this was him. I'd be more curious to know with this guy if this is all just I'm calling in all my favors and visiting all the people I know and gathering as much money as I can and I wasn't planning on doing this but I got to or if he was planning some big getaway and this is sort of a uh, him going through the steps of that, I, I I feel like it'd be very informative to the character to know which is which. I from the events of the movie, I'm assuming it's all spur of the moment and impromptu. But he's also lounging around smoking so much. It's like I don't know. Was he like? Was he just like? Yeah, this is the thing. I'm gonna do the thing and then I'll run off. Like I don't know. I I don't know what his deal is. I I feel like we don't ever get a ton of insight into his character. And I do think that hurts a lot with following this guy's journey. Cause I'm just like, I don't really understand this guy. He just seems like a psycho, <laughs> but yeah. So kiss her. I don't know. I got kisser, blackmail guy photos. Don't know what any of this is in reference to. I think Mikel set some guy up and I don't even know. It doesn't matter. Uh, but yeah, Mikkel visits this model that he knows. She is like, yeah, you could totally stay in this studio. It's fine. And you're a ladies man, Mikkel, because you're so cool. I don't think they hook up. It's just basically like he's got a place to lay low. But unfortunately, Patricia, his supposed one true love, decides to say, you know what? This is fucked up. I'm going to call the police. And so she does, and she tells him where Mikkel is. And there is a really good scene where she goes to this art studio place, and there's this really cool tracking shot where she's walking around this pillar over and over again and kind of explaining, you know what, you are like kind of a piece of shit, but I'm kind of into you, but I know it's bad, and I called the cops, and so I'm telling you because... You can run and get away, but I probably will not be going with you as I thought better of it, rightly so. Uh, but yeah, but it's it's a fun scene where she's just walking around, sort of telling him what's up. But he's very slow to move, and it seems like he... I don't know. I don't know if this is our moment where it's like, he wasn't a psychopath after all because he's so hurt by her betrayal that he just... It, life's not worth living without her, so he just gives up. That, that's not really the vibe I got from the film, but thinking back on it, it's sort of like maybe that's what they were going for. Because he just he doesn't make any attempt to run. She gives him enough of a heads up that he could absolutely flee, and he just doesn't. He just kind of resigns to being like, yeah, okay, that's fine. The cops show up. He, I don't even think he has his gun at this point. There's a really strange sequence where, and this might have to do with the blackmail guy, I can't even remember anything anymore. This whole last sequence is very awkwardly put together. Because he's running away unarmed, the cops are chasing him. Some guy like drives up and offers to help him get away, and he turns it down. 
And then the guy's like, well, I'm still doing you a favor and like throws a gun at him. And so there's like a gun and the cops are like, he's got a gun. And they, they shoot him. Mikkel runs a little bit, falls. It's like super dramatic. I think he gets like a, a couple last lines. Patricia's there because she like witnessed the whole thing. Seems to feel bad about turning him in. I, I don't know. I have a line that just says, makes me want to puke. And then it just says her face. I think maybe we just end on her looking at him. I don't even remember. I, I feel bad. This is like one of the most influential films of all time, but none of the scenes are sticking in my mind. I I can't remember shit about this movie. I didn't watch it that long ago. I I don't know. It didn't leave much of an impact on me. It's just this like piece of shit sociopath and this she doesn't seem to be naive, but just young woman who's kind of swept up in his chaos, just kind of chatting and smoking and him running around town until eventually she's like, Yeah, maybe this is a bad idea, and turns him in and then he gets shot and dies. And and that's like the whole movie. And it's very atmospheric, and I like I like the way it looks a lot. I love the grittiness. I love the black and white. The two leads are very attractive and interesting to watch together. Their chemistry is pretty decent, but I didn't find this movie terribly compelling. I just, I mean, it is what it is. It's an influential Beatles song of a film, and I'm not the guy, I guess, even though I love French film and French New Wave should be my jam. I love gritty low budget stuff that's my shit I, I just need I guess I need something to grab onto and there's nothing in this film I understand why it's had such an effect on so many people it's very daring with the shots and the editing and even the choice to have the characters be the way they are especially the main guy Mikkel being just an absolute piece of shit but it makes me not care what happens to him it makes me not want Patricia to get with him because I'm like he's a, he's a psycho. You run off to Rome with him, and within six months you're the most miserable person on the earth. Like I just that's the vibe I get. I don't know if I'm being weird and jaded. I mean, this movie's got a three point nine on Letterbox. There's multiple people I even follow that have given it five stars. They love it. I could see this being the kind of film that grows on you the more you watch it because I think there's a lot of nuance and subtlety to it. There's a lot of scenes where the camera's just wide and in a two shot and lingering on the characters and they're both acting their asses off and there's little nuances to pick up on little things to notice. I think this is definitely one of those, like you rewatch it a bunch of times films. It maybe becomes almost a comfort movie for you, even though it's kind of weird and fucked up, but I just was very unenthused with my first watch. Maybe I'll revisit it down the line. I'll be curious to go through more Kadar. You know, when you go to Letterboxd and you type him up and it's like, usually when you click on someone's name, it kind of goes by like film popularity. And I noticed that Breathless is the film that's number one on his like chunk of body of work. So I don't know. I, I wonder if there's some other stuff he made that's a little bit, deserves a little bit more praise. This film left me a little cold. I just, I don't know what else to say. I feel bad because a lot of times because I describe the plot so thoroughly, I kind of hope for people to check the film out before they listen because without context, a lot of the stuff I'm talking about doesn't make sense. And I feel like 
going through the summary, I feel like it was maybe kind of boring. I was very lackadaisical, just like, uh, yeah, and then, then uh, yeah, I don't know. This happens, and then this happens, and they talk and smoke and talk and smoke and maybe have sex and kiss. But there is good stuff in here. There's shots. I can, when I think of the movie, I can't think of anything they said. I can't think of like the themes of the film or anything, but I can, I can see the shots. He's pulling into the car lot. He's l- over her on the bed and they both have sunglasses on. And then he lifts his up and they kiss a lot of stuff of them in the bed, them walking down the middle of the street while she's trying to sell newspapers, them walking down the sidewalk while everyone's rubbernecking, him driving, him pointing the gun at people, the way it even looked when he pulled off to the side of the road, the weird trees that they were next to. I'm seeing everything, but I'm not remembering anything that's said, and this is a very dialogue-heavy movement movement <laughs> a very dialogue heavy movie and i don't remember almost a single line from it which is i think pretty damning i don't know uh, yeah i just i thought it was just okay uh it ends we get a classic fiend which i don't even know if you can do unironically anymore <laughs> we get fiend f-i-n french fin finale but hey, I don't know, yeah. Fuck it. Let's get into ratings. What am I going to rate Breathless? One of the most classic French New Wave films of all time by one of the most well-regarded and renowned filmmakers of all time. Me, Jake Ryan Baker of Indiana. Do I have the audacity? Uh, you know what? I was wavering between a 6 and a 5. But because I'm a piece of shit and I do 0.5 ratings on this show, which I <laughs> love talking to Andrew during the Tank Girl episode about being like, if you do a 0.5 rating, you might as well do a 1 out of 20 system, but maybe that's confusing for people. That being said, with the parameters I've given myself thus far on the show, 5.5. 5.5. That's what I give Breathless. Uh, Am I lowballing it incredibly? I sure am. I sure am. Will this movie grow on me? I don't know. Again, Beatles situation. Because of them, I've gotten to see some of my favorite filmmakers do what they do, inspired by films like Breathless and anything that Truffaut, 400 Blows and all that stuff. Yet, for me, this is a case where the evolution is better than what preceded it. This, I mean, this film feels very flawed and, and, and amateurish in, in certain ways. It's bold. I love how daring it is. And the chemistry is good and you can't really teach chemistry. The acting's good. There's a lot of, if this film was made by like a 22 year old college kid, I'd be like, yeah, this kid, they're going to they're going to do some cool shit. And this is a really interesting daring debut by them. It's not, it's got a lot of problems, but I I can see a I can see a voice. And and that that is honestly how I feel about this movie. And I don't know, maybe there is a sheen of people looking back at it being like, "No, but 
It's from one of the most brilliant filmmakers of all time. It's a work of genius. I don't necessarily think that's the case, but I could maybe stand to read up more about the film and understand that there are all these themes and things going into the, the movie that I'm not picking up on. I'm not doing a service to it. To me, it was a really crazy sociopath smokes and tries to talk a girl into running away with him. And she, at the last minute, is like, eh, maybe that's not the best idea. And then feels kind of bad because he gets shot by the cops. And then that's the end of the movie. It's just, I feel like if, feel like if you, if this movie came out shot for shot in color from some U, USC student, people would be like, okay, okay, interesting. But I don't think they would hold it up as a landmark of cinema. And, and you know, part of that's because we've evolved since then. And I understand how this film coming out in 1960 was very influential and, and groundbreaking. But I mean, this show's about not having nostalgia. I don't have nostalgia for this film. I respect French New Wave. I'm going to dive even deeper into it. But this movie left me a little cold. It just left me cold. I don't know what to say. I feel like I'm making excuses, but it just is what it is. I mean, I watch... Eh, eh. It, it is what it is. So, yeah. 5.5, I guess. I don't know. Feels rude. But that's where I landed. Fuck it. Recommendations? Um... um, 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 um. Yeah, I'll just, I'll do two classics. I've probably recommended these movies already. True Romance, my favorite film linked to Quentin Tarantino. Gun to my head some days, maybe one of my favorite films of all time. I love True Romance. You want a kind of sociopathic guy and a cool chick that fall in love and run around? I think True Romance is better than breathless <laughs> oh boy uh take away my credit card now just just fucking take it away i don't deserve it i love the movie true romance it's very flawed it's got a lot of problems i adore that fucking movie if you want to watch i feel like it's got the same vibes as this i chances are tarantino was very influenced by breathless i i bet you dollars to donuts he was but uh, True Romance, I think, is a better version of this. And if you want to dip even deeper into complete psychosociopaths, I don't know where the delineation begins on that. I'll throw Natural Born Killers in there, too. I actually like that movie a lot. It's got a lot of weirdness and a lot of problems, but you want to talk about a movie that's daring and taking chances, especially with the editing and the sequences? Natural Born Killers takes some wild fucking swings, and if you like a movie, I for me, it's like, if you like a movie like Breathless, where you can watch Mikkel just steal and kill and rob, and just, he's just, you can just see it on his face, and the actor's doing a great job. This is clearly what they're going for. This guy does not give a fuck, and he will do whatever he needs to do to get what he wants. And so if you're into that kind of stuff, I don't see how Natural Born Killers isn't a slam dunk for you. Again... Tarantino adjacent film, although he's disowned it, I believe, but I feel like I don't I see a direct I see a direct connection between Mickey and Mikkel. I mean the the guy's name's Mickey. I even saying it out loud, it's like obvious now. Mickey, 
Mikkel. It, they're, they're like the same guy. And, you know, Juliette Lewis is uh, Mallory. She definitely is a little more psychotic than Patricia, but she also ends up becoming sort of the empathetic character where she is the one that realizes that maybe they're going a little too far. Uh, you know, the more I talk about true romance and natural born killers, it seems obvious that Tarantino was influenced by stuff like breathless for sure. Bonnie and Clyde, obviously, but Bonnie and Clyde was influenced by the French new wave. It all sort of begets itself. It's a tumbling thing. And I'm appreciative for it without it. I wouldn't have got some of my favorite stuff of all time, like true romance. And even though I was a little hard on it when I watched it, Bonnie and Clyde has really grown on me. I, you know, I love this stuff. I love uh, lovers on the run. I love criminals on the run doing their thing. I just, I usually need something to grab onto a little bit. I need to kind of understand where they came from or why they're doing it, or they have a morale streak or, or whatever. You know, when it comes to something like natural born killers, I do think that without Juliet Lewis's character in that film, you'd be fully untethered, but she's got, she's along for the ride, but you also realize that she knows it's a little crazy and it kind of grounds you a little bit. And I think that's what they try to do with Patricia in breathless, but it's more just kind of like, she's like, Oh, he's cool. And I have a little girl crush. Uh, actually maybe this is bad. I don't know. I, I feel like I'm just shit talking breathless. It's mean. It's, you know, again, it's an influential film. If you ever dip a toe in a French New Wave, you have to watch it. It's required viewing. You know, I'd love for people to watch it and really vibe out with it and come hit me back like, yo, dude, you are super wrong about Breathless. It's really deep and interesting and I connected with the characters and they're so hot and cool and I liked them and I loved watching him. He's so magnetic. I, I wasn't feeling it. I don't know, but yeah, uh, what else is there to say? I gave my recommendations. I kind of shit, shitted on breathless shitted. That's not really a word. I love you guys. That's going to do it for me here on Clareton, the classics here on Jake Ryan Baker here at the end of all things, not the Lord of the Rings episode. <laughs> I thank you so much for joining me. Uh, and I'm sorry to any newcomers who saw Breathless and were like, oh, cool, French New Wave. No one's talking about this. Let's check it out. And you got my dumb, sleepy, 4.30 in the morning ass. Uh, my uh and ass. I go, uh, uh. Welcome to the uh Breathless episode. <laughs> uh... <laughs> No, but seriously, I really appreciate you guys listening. You're the best. You're why I... You're partially why I do this show. The other reasons... Because I love watching movies and talking about them. And it's a great excuse to do so. But it's totally... It makes me feel the warm fuzzies when I see that some people clicked on the show. It's great. I love it. I love you guys. You're the best. <sighs> And as I always say, unfortunately, at the end of every episode, I'll catch you all on the flip-flop. Later. <laughs>